0: God is good in the way that he works things out sometimes, you know, just uh, all the time. And uh, when I got the phone call yesterday about Josh, I said, I remember 15 years ago at the St. Louis Church of Christ, I was getting up on a Father's Day to preach. And for some reason, Father's Day is always a big attending day of that church. And the place was filled. We had close to 500 people there, I remember. <laughs> and it was huge. And... Uh, uh, I got up and had a partial brain seizure right in front of the church. <laughs> I remember nothing except standing up and reading the book of Acts, uh, eighth chapter of Acts three times and walked down and walked out. <laughs> remember none of that. And uh, so thank goodness I had a very able youth minister there at the time, Eric Christian. He came up and he took the pulpit. So I had a little bit of flashback when I got a call. and. And sometimes you just, uh, you know, I don't think uh, people realize you just don't have guys who can just step up and preach. Now, this might be a need that you see. As an evangelist, my call is to set the church in order. And so I want to tell you, you ought to have an elder or two or a person here or two that could step right in and preach for you. Not that I don't mind becoming It's a a privilege and a pleasure. And for the hospitality that you've shown Sharon and I are coming and I sit and think about the the good memories of Richard singing and and Luke and Amy here. Uh, Luke's parents are just wonderful Christian people, faithful and true and uh, even through a lot of family issues they have really uh, gone and Amy's family's out of the Forest Hill Church and it's just good to see people who are serving God and loving Him because uh, I couldn't take enough time to tell you how great God is and you all know that. I'm not, I'm preaching to the choir this morning uh, here, so to speak, because all of you know how good God has been. He has brought you through many, many troubles and trials. And so as I thought about a message, I'm doing a, a series at, at the church in St. Louis in First Peter. I'm not preaching it, I'm teaching it. There's Sunday school class. I had 169 people in this class. So I got a large class, and I want to thank uh, uh, Brad Vibber for filling in for me this morning, one of our elders, and then uh, Matt Elder, who who is another gentleman there, who is one of the elders of the church, has been my assistant in the class if I've had to be gone speaking or otherwise uh, being called away. So, uh, by the grace of God, I'm here today, and thankfully we're uh, going to have to shoot out of here. We're in the midst of getting 40 years of education material and uh, uh, preaching material and all kinds of things out of our basement, and our two sons are coming from Grand Rapids to help load off their thing, I said it's about time you're in your mid forties. It's time to leave the nest, so to speak, <laughs> and get your stuff out. So all of you know what that's like sometimes. So we'll be shooting out of here in a minute. When I was ordained in nineteen back in the uh, when dinosaurs roamed the earth in nineteen seventy one, my uh, <clears throat> uh, the preacher that ordained me stood before me and he said uh, uh, at the end of the service he said Keith, you need to remember this. You need to be prepared to do three things if you're going to be a a minister of the gospel. And I looked at a young fellow with a full head of hair, and uh, (laughs) he said that you have to be ready to preach, pray, or die at the drop of a hat. (laughs) And so when I got the call yesterday, I I wanted to be ready. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up to uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And... uh, Talk about Peter and put him in context. I think they're kind of uh, reconnecting some of his his apostolic uh, pedigree and how he's connected to the church and how he's connected to us. And uh, 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 there's almost a different uh, picture here. And I love it when the Bible can preach itself. It It preaches to us and speaks to us and we go, Oh, isn't that wonderful? And this morning you almost do not need a preacher. That's how good it is. I mean, it reads so great. I'm going to read just part of this chapter. Verses 3 through uh, 9, making comment probably up to verse 12. But uh, 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 read it and then pray with you. And just listen to Peter. He's, got an, he's given an introduction to this epistle. Uh, it is known as a, a general epistle or A Catholic epistle, it's called, meaning universal to the whole church. Uh, And now in verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us the new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time and this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have had to suffer griefs or grief in all kinds of trials these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined in fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Not that same again. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the glory or the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, bless now your word. Help us to see, the, in these words of Peter, the great attributes of the Christian life, and the maturity and the calmness by which, and the, the zeal of this great apostle, 30 years after Pentecost, ready for the believer to see and hear these great truths, help us here today at the Ferris Church of Christ to leave here, not only to worship now, but this week before us. All of us have goals and people to see and, and things to do, but Father, help us today to see the salvation. That Peter illuminates for us and help us to love one another. For you loved us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Peter, as an apostle, is a different Peter who's preaching and teaching and writing in this epistle than he is that Peter way over here during in the Gospels that we see. In the Gospels, we see this impetuous kind of a guy. Remember Peter back here in the Gospels? He's the fellow that. Denies Jesus three times. Remember that guy? He's the guy that says, oh, uh, you know, I'll die for you. (laughs) Jesus has to say to Peter at one point, get thee behind me, Satan. Remember that? Well, this is the same Peter, but he's a different guy. He's restored to the Lord. There in the first chapter of Acts, at the really the end of uh, the the, uh, Gospels, see that Luke especially. But then you see him, uh, coming alive for us here, and uh, he's back with the apostles. And then on uh, the day of Pentecost, the church is born, and Peter preaches the first sermon. And you believe it, yes, God shows you his grace, doesn't he? That's why you're here. We're all here because of the grace of God. God loved you, yeah, he loved the guy across the pew from you, but he loved you, the man or woman there. And now, Peter has been preaching this now for 30 years. We know the area where he is, and I'll get my imaginary map up here. This would be modern-day Turkey, or Asia Minor, as the Romans called it. And way up here in this northern area, Pontus and Galatia, these areas, he names it there in the verse. He, he talks about these, these areas of God, Pontus, Galatia, and Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, all these areas up in here. He's been up in here teaching and preaching. After he left Jerusalem, later as an apostle, and he's worked in these areas as Paul had done, as Paul had established his, his directive as another apostle, and it's been 30 years, and the guy we see speaking to us in this passage is a far more mature, far more uh, man of soberness, uh, uh, to say something to us, to speak to us as a, as a voice with gravitas, not some impetuous kind of a person over here just jumping off the gun. Oh, no. The pain of life, the struggle of life, the realities of life, the persecution of life, all of that now is coming to bear when we get this great epistle, First and 2 Peter. Well, look at this as we look at this, and I think it will inspire us to leave here today uh, looking at what God does, how he does it, and why he does it. in a way that will help us, so that we'll live our lives out like Peter did, because it's not long he's going to die. In the late 60s, he'll die uh, in Rome, as the Apostle Paul will die, martyred. So he says, praise to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see from verses 3 through 12, really, three benedictions, one to God the Father, one to God the Son, and one to God the Holy Spirit. As you sang this morning,
1: BLESSED TRINITY!
0: Right? Yeah. It's all through Scripture. Don't be afraid to talk about the Trinity. It's okay. You're not Catholic if you do that. (laughs) That's the Bible. Sometimes we get off on these wacky, kind of strange things, only because they're an emphasis in one book, and then they're not in another. But when you get them in context, they all work together for you. All right? So, praised be to God the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, in His great mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. (laughs) You know, mercy is not getting what you deserve. You know, it's very, (laughs) I received mercy one time at the age of about eight years old. I was on a a baseball uh, little league team and uh, we we had a glove and then we had to get a ball And my mom and dad were not that uh, uh, stealth with money at the time, and so my mother one day was taking me through town in Steubenville, Ohio, and we're walking, and they had the shops, of course, in those days. And We went into a a five-and-dime, McCroys it was called, and they had all these baseballs all stacked up. And they had them laying down there, just the height of an eight-year-old boy. And I thought, and in those days, you had shoplifters, but they weren't like they are today. A real problem. Well, I took that uh, baseball, and I I was able to get away. I stuck it in my mother's bag, one of her bags. She didn't even know it was in there. And I thought, oh, man, I got a new ball. I couldn't wait to get home. But on the way home, my mother had to stop. In those days, you had to go to go to a different market to get your meat and your bread and those things. And so, we went to uh, uh, this meat market there, and while we're there, and I'm being the good little boy back here waiting for my mother, right in front of where her bag is, the bag she accidentally kicked the bag, the bag fell over and out rolled that ball. (laughs) And my mother saw the ball. And she said to me, as mothers will do, you know they got eyes back here, did you know that mothers (laughs) have eyes back here? She said, "Uh, where did that come from? And you can't lie to your mother because, man. She said, uh, I just had to say, I said, Mom, I, I, I stole that ball. Oh, really? Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do, Keith. We're going to go back to the store. You're going to take that ball, and you're going to give it back to the manager, and you're going to apologize. And who knows? I might go to jail because I have a thief in the family. (laughs) Now, my mother was a gracious Christian woman. I mean, she was good. But uh, she she also knew how to put the Board of Education on the seat of knowledge, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Well, (coughs) I had to take this ball back, go to the manager and apologize, and hand it to him. I had to do that. My mother said, I'm not going to do it. You're going to do it. So I took the ball back, and, and I had to apologize and gave him back the, the ball. And he said, young man, be thankful that you have a mother that loves you enough to correct you. And it taught me a lesson. Not only was I embarrassed, but I had to learn. I had to receive some mercy in the midst of this because I could have been in big trouble. He said, you know, I could, I could have your mother arrested because you're a minor. But he said, I won't do that, because your mother's had two of my children in public school, <laughs> <laughs> and I know your mother, but I don't know you, and I want to thank God that she, he said this, I want to thank God for your mother. So I got mercy that day. Now let me get it straight to you. Every one of you in this room this morning, including this preacher, has gotten mercy from God. You're not getting what you deserve. And that's what Peter's trying to say. Peter knew about mercy, didn't he? <laughs> ah. So, he's speaking out of experience here. Mercy has given us new birth. Born of the water and the spirit. That's what the new birth means. Go back to John 3. I'll tell you. You were born again, maybe out of this. In the picture of death, burial, and resurrection. Romans 6. buried with Christ, raised with him. Newness of life. You've been, he says the new birth and a living hope. A living hope, not a hope that says, "Well, I hope so. I, I really hope so. I hope it's going to rain this week. It may or may not. I hope I can get this. I hope I can do that. I hope, it... I hope." I hope. A hope. A hope. No, no. This is a living hope. You can count on it through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, why that's why is that important? Well, with the age of our congregation in this particular place, we can see, we know about death. Most of you have buried. Parents, I would say. Maybe you bury children. Or your children that have buried parents. And, and you know, uh, uh, you know about death. That'll sober you right up on it. This is it. That same mother I tell you about, I tell you the story of how, how she passed. She called me and my sister who lived near the, my parents. Said, you need to come, mom's going to have a surgery, and uh, uh, Judy, my other sister, who lives in Florida, will fly up, and all three of us can be there. Our our brother had just moved and was in a new job in Carolina and couldn't come. So we went, and we were there, and talked to the surgeon. He said, this is going to be fairly routine. We're going to replace a valve in her heart, and uh, uh, we'll come back and talk to you what we've done and so forth. We'll restart her heart and get it going. You know, this is a pretty calm procedure. And... uh, so, the three of us were there, One, the minister from the church where she attended, the Church of Christ, uh, there in Follensby, West Virginia, came over to the hospital and we sat there and we chatted and I knew him from camp, he was a great elder in the church there and was filling in until they got a preacher. <laughs> and we had prayer together several times. And then in came uh, the surgeon to see us and he said, uh, Your mother's vow was so calcified we tried to restart her heart and her heart would stop, start and then stop. Now we can do all kinds of things. We can send her here, there, and everywhere. The three of us sat there and we knew what her faith was because I got to pray with her that night before. And she said, I don't know what's going to happen. They say this is routine, but I don't know what will happen. And all three of us said, my father, who was an invalid, and she had been taking care of him for a number of years. We all agreed together. It was almost simultaneously. Would mother really want that? And she told me, she said, I'm ready to go meet the Lord. I've served him faithfully all these years. And in her 80s, she passed into eternity that day since I'm the oldest in the family, I had to go back and tell my father. And he was not in really good shape. So we're all there, and a couple of my nieces and nephews were there, and and we had to tell him. If it wasn't for the resurrection, my mother wouldn't have had that peace. If it wasn't for the resurrection... My father wouldn't have been able to accept that. And it was, if it wasn't for the resurrection, we'd have no hope, beloved. And if Jesus tarries, one of these days, all of you are going to be in that valley of shadow of death. But thanks be to God, because of a living hope, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you do not have to be afraid. Amen? Amen? In fact, we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Real quick here, all of us here maybe have an inheritance. But every inheritance you have will either do one of those things. It will either perish, spoil, or fade. If you have land, you have money, all of that will will all be gone. In this life, somebody else will own the land. It might be in the family, but somebody else will own it. You may give the money away, you may have a trust, you may have children and grandchildren that you give it away, but it will fade, it will disappear into the future. But what you have in Christ will never perish, because it's kept in heaven. Now there's a trust. (laughs) There's a trust. It's kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power. Maybe, you know, it's going to be an eternity. We're going to see the times that we were shielded by the power of God. We didn't know about it. Like the footprints in the sand, you know, that old poem, He Carried Me, those footprints were Him carrying me, Him carrying you. We've been shielded by the power of God. And it's going to be revealed to us at the last day. Now, Peter will always echo, there's a stereophonic kind of theology going on here. When you hear one apostle say something, it'll reverberate with another. Because they're preaching the same things by the Holy Spirit's inspiration, amen? They're doing the same thing. There's a consistency there. And over in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, let's just quickly look at this. It it helps us to see this a little bit, because uh, uh, Paul will say this to the Christians in uh, 23 and 24, Let's see, may, may God Himself, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, may God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, body, and soul, the three uh, tripartite uh, part of your life, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming. And he says, verse 24 the one who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. If God says it, it's going to be done. It's not like us. I'll get over there sometime. I'll do that sometime and you forget about it. (laughs) Have you ever forgot something? Oh, brother wise. Oh, boy. Even when you write it down. (laughs) You see, we forget, God never forgets. (laughs) Keep remembering that. And he loves us, he showed us his mercy. So back to Peter. Peter's just reechoing what Paul has said, or Paul's reechoing what Peter has said. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have n- had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. All kinds of trials. Some people in the Christian life have real t- struggles, some people have real physical problems, mental problems, issues of life of which they have no control. But these, whatever we face here is temporary compared to eternity. I love the illustration you used this morning about time. We, we do lose time. We have everything so instant we forget. What is eternity like? Whoa. You live 70, 80, 100 years. You see? What's that compared To 10,000s upon 10,000s upon 10,000s of a year. In our little finite thinking of time. There's nothing. James says, your your life is like a breath. (sighs) And you're gone. I've been by the bedside of many a fine Christian saint, holding his or her hand, praying with their family, as this Christian man or woman passed into eternity. And I've been there when they've been mean, nasty, squirrely, wicked people who've died in fear and trepidation because of what is coming. Because they've not known the love of God. Their pride, their self-arrogance, their self-centeredness, their own achievements have kept them from being with God if they would have just surrendered themselves. What they could be could have been. The goodness of God, you see. That's why in Romans, Paul said, it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance?" It is God is good. He says this: these not just our faith, but the trials. In the Greek, it's the trials rather than the faith. The, the translators have seem to be faith is fine, but it is the trials that are far greater worth than gold that perishes even through refined by fire. You know what they do with gold. They dig it out. You can say, well, this this ore, this is gold ore. Well, they want to, you know, they, what they want to see it is refined, don't they? They want you to get that piece of gold that's been refined. That's what life, that's what troubles do. That's what drives you to your knees in prayer if you're having a heartache and a disappointment or something. Or you failed the Lord in some way. Go to Him in prayer. Ask for forgiveness. Good. And that trial, that difficulty will refine you. So it'll be more precious to you. It's so important. This time with your minister. Pray for him. Pray for him. I told you about my incident with this. I, this was on Father's Day. But by uh, the elders gave, there gave me a, 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 a time of rest, and realization, a sabbatical through the summer. And uh, our music minister did most of the preaching. Our youth minister did through the summer. And by fall, by the grace and the prayers of the people, I was back, I was able not only to preach, but to go back to my whole full class load at Alma College and teach. (laughs) I call that a miracle, in my mind, because of the things that were able to be restored. Ask God to help. Pray for your minister. Pray for this church. Pray for your leaders. Listen to me as time goes on, these fine men that stand here every week, There'll be a day they won't be here. They'll go home to Jesus. They'll go home to the Lord. Call in the young people. Tell them. Teach them. While you can. Because time is short. Sounds like an evangelistic. Again, I'm preaching to the choir. Now, Peter's going to give three benedictions here. One to God the Father, which is verses 3 through 8. One to the Son, which we're going to see in a minute as we close. And... uh, (laughs) this refining of fire, shows that we are proven genuine, may result in glory and praise and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now the reason for that is we're told by Paul again in 1 Corinthians 3, that all of our works are going to be tried by fire. They're going to be wood, hay, or stubble. (laughs) All these things in life that we've counted as important, when the the Lord puts them under his blowtorch, They'll be gone. <laughs> and what's going to count are the spiritual things. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. See, So uh, this is what Peter's telling us here. Jesus is going to be revealed. Though, now, verse 8. Circle verse 8. Read it this week. It'll bless you. Read it over and over and over and over and over again. Listen to this now though you have not seen him. We've not seen Jesus in the flesh. Well, I used to do debates with atheists. They'd say, you Christians are so foolish. You believe in this Judean uh, rabbi that walked around for a few years, and, you know, he wasn't. we were not sure about him, and, uh, you know, you don't have any... If he was so great, why aren't there secular uh, sources as revealed as the New Testament documents. Of course, they were ignorant of that because there are secular sources that tell us about Jesus, (laughs) by the way. And though we haven't seen him, I used to sit and argue like when I was a young fiery evangelist. Hope I still got the fire. (laughs) But I'll tell you what. I haven't seen him, but I love him don't you love God? The older you get, the things you've seen him do, you stand in humility before him. When he comes, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. We'll do it because the Lord comes. We're going to be right down there on our knees, aren't we? We'll be down on our faces. We're not going to stand before God. Well, I was a member of the church for 10, 20, 30 years. I can't say as a preacher, I've baptized all of these people. Every church I've preached in has grown. Because of my ministry, Lord, thank you, and you're so lucky to have me along. Not really. (laughs) He could use a monkey and do what I do. I'm not kidding. The only difference is the Lord says, are you with me? Break me, melt me, mold me, fill me, use me, Lord. I want to be a tool in his hand. Let me use my gifts for you, Father. I want to be used by you. And if people are drawn to Jesus because of me, I'm going to point always back to him. You see, it's it's very important. Everything goes back to the Father through Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit. So let me wind this up here. So good. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Paul says, we don't know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. There are times in your life, you are so full of joy. How about that time you had to f- held that first baby in your arms? I fainted the first time my wife gave birth. Fainted. All I don't remember, again, is some big nurse taking me out and putting smelling sauce under my, true story. But every child, what do, you do? what do you do with that? You look at that baby and you go, oh, God, you're so wonderful. You weep. see a sunset. Here in Michigan, some of the beautiful evening sunsets that we have, you go, Lord, isn't that beautiful? Or the fields with the corn. Or the things that are growing. Or, or, I mean, it takes. there are not words. And then there are times you carry great grief. Great grief in your heart people. I can tell you by the, the work in the church, the, the grief that you bear, and you don't understand, but you say, Lord, heal these people, heal this person, touch this person, make this person aware, or there's been a tragedy in a family. All of this brings us to, Lord, we don't know how to pray, but you know, God, how to answer this prayer and to comfort and to strengthen where it's needed, inexpressible and glorious joy. Last verse, for you are receiving, not going to receive, you are now receiving. It's in the imperfect tense. We are now receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's why you partook of the Lord's Supper. You're remembering. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, what I've done for you and the promises that you have, and that inheritance that's coming, it's kept for you in heaven. Praise God. Nobody can touch it. So you live faithfully for him every day. Not just today. And going on in the next verses, he talks about the Holy Spirit working in the the prophets of old. They looked into these things. They wanted to know, what's this great promise that's coming? Tell us that. And Peter will say to them... They predicted the sufferings of Christ, the glories that would follow, and uh, it was, verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not receiving, not serving themselves, but you. Peter says, they didn't know it, these Old Testament guys back here, but they were really preparing for you, you Christians that have been the recipients of Jesus Christ. That's why on the day of Pentecost, they came, they came to themselves, they said, we have Crucified the Son. What shall we do? Crucified the Messiah. Everything kind of hit them. Woo! You ever, had, you ever get hit with a reality? Hmm? The lights go on, you go, oh man. Wow. And that's what happens. And he's trying to again stir people's thinking. Peter is the book of remembrance. He's always bringing back things we know, but in a whole glorious new way of looking at them. So that we'll not only love Jesus here, when we hear the praise team leading us and this young man that was leading us here and Rich and the other ladies that were leading us, the men that have the communion meditations and the fellows that serve here. But boy, when you walk out of here this week, Peter would say, keep loving him, praising him, praying. Don't get too busy. Slow down. Remember who bought your salvation. Remember who were we're to live out this wonderful story. I want to close with a little chorus. I wasn't sure whether it was in your hymn book or not, so I brought a hymn book with me. <laughs> and uh, it, it is in your hymn book, by the way. It's, uh, in your hymn book, it's page 370, but I'm going to sing just two verses as I close today, and I'll have prayer. My life, my love, I give to thee, written by Ralph Hudson. And he was uh, an evangelist and teacher. And he says, let me me just sing it. It, It's it's lyrics and it's tune, it's beautiful, very simple.
1: My life, my
0: love, I
1: give to thee, Thou Lamb of God, who died for me. Oh, may I ever faithful be, My Savior and my God. I'll live for him who died for me, How happy then my life shall be! I'll live for him who died for me, My Savior and my God. O thou who died on Calvary, To save my soul, and make me free, I'll consecrate my life to Thee, my Savior and my God. I'll live for Him who died for me, How happy then my life shall be! I'll live for him who died for me, my Savior and
0: my God. Let's pray. Father God, we will live for you, each one of us here who has named your name. And if there is someone who has not, may they today make that decision. As the praise band comes, as we're led to an invitation time, as uh, the elders here and the people here. There might be someone who needs Christ. Oh, Lord, though we have not seen him, we love him. And because we love him, we know that our inheritance is safe in heaven with you. Bless and keep us today, oh God. Be, be with Josh and his recovery. Be with his wife and family. Be with these that are here. Watch over and keep them. And so it's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.